أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسلدنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد The uh, selection of hadith that we're going to read today are a couple of uh, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ with regards to the chapter of the virtue of praying uh, in the night. The night prayer that's referred to in, in these hadiths is not the, 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 the Isha prayer. Rather, it is uh, what we refer to as Qiyamul Layl. Qiyamul Layl is a general expression, meaning any uh, nafl, optional prayer that happens in the night, the best of which is something called tahajjud. Uh, tahajjud is a particular part of the night, the fourth and the fifth, uh, uh, sixths of the night. Arabic is a remarkably, uh, a remarkably eloquent language, and every hour of the day and every hour of the night has a special uh, name and a special word for it. So if you divide the night into six parts, the first uh, starting from Maghrib, not from Isha, from Maghrib, and the last one ending, ending when the, the, the Fajr comes in at the crack of dawn. If you divide six parts of the night, the Isha should be read either in the first part or in the second part. There's a difference of opinion amongst the ulama. The Shafi'iyah, uh, uh, they say that the best time for Isha is at the beginning. This is why the people who hold fast to that madhab, even in this country in the winter, you'll see that like our Somali brothers, for example, who are almost exclusively Shafi'is, they, they'll pray the Isha prayer at 6 o'clock. Bam, 5.30, bam, it's done, it's finished. When I left Norway, uh, uh, that was, that was the, the, the time for, for the Isha prayer uh, in, in, in their masjid. Uh, on, the, on the other end, Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah tabarak wa ta'ala, he takes the, the, the fatwa of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, which is what? Which is that the, the, the best time to pray Isha is delayed after the first third of the night has passed. So that's after two parts out of six. I don't know if you guys have gotten that far in fractions yet. Maybe you have, your brother has it. You can explain it to him when he gets home. One of the wisdoms of praying the Isha prayer at that time is what? Is that it should be the last thing that a person does before they retire and they go to sleep. Now this is a problem in many countries in the Muslim world. We've kind of left, no, no, you put that back, go. Put that back. When you're 70, inshallah, I'll bring it for you, okay? And you can use it and I'll bring it for you. I'll set it up for you and everything. Until then, uh, inshallah, you get, a, you get a sit like the Muslims. So the idea is that the, uh, uh, the, 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 the last thing that you do before going to sleep should be what? Pray Isha. Uh, what's the problem in the Muslim world? The first third of the night when it ends, it's like what? 7.30, 8 o'clock, 8.30? That's when the party's just getting warmed up. It's not even started yet. The party is like stretching, you know, in order to get started, you know? Like you're, you're, you're just stretching out in order to get the party started. Which is fine if you don't ever want to do anything in your life. If you don't ever want to do anything in, in your life, then go ahead and do it. I'm not better than anyone else. I grew up the same way, 11, 12 o'clock, 12, 30, 1 o'clock, going to sleep, enjoying myself um, at night, having parties, meeting people, and just, you know, having fun. And, you know, this is not a halal haram issue. 
You understand what I'm saying? Not everything in life is a halal haram issue. For example, if a husband and wife get married, I know you're not a lawyer, Ziad may get upset if like, I ask you a legal question because you'll be like, this guy doesn't have a legal license, but he's not here, so let's go ahead and do it anyway. Nobody, nobody will tell on you, okay? So is it legal for uh, like, two people are married, husband and wife, right? Is it legal to, uh, for example, for the wife to kill her husband? Why don't, why don't we take a second, let, let's take a second stab at this question. Uh, because you're killing Is it legal, yes or no? Um, not really. Not really, mashallah. I knew this kid, he's going places, mashallah, right? It's not legal, right? Is it legal for a husband to, like, I don't know, break his wife's teeth? No. 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 Is it legal for uh, a, a, a wife to take her husband's car and drive it off a cliff? No. Is it legal for a husband to take his like wife's, uh, you know, like whatever property and burn it? No. All of these things are illegal. So, and they should be common sense for most people. Some of our brothers and sisters they have like trouble understanding these things, but generally we take them to the side and sit them down and say, okay, you can't do this stuff, right? Uh, generally, and so, what would happen if someone comes to the masjid, husband and wife, you know, and the husband's like, you know what, Sheikh, I tried my best. I didn't kill her, I didn't burn her stuff, I didn't break her teeth, I didn't uh, drive her car off a cliff and she's still not happy with me. What would you say to such a person? You'd say that the law is not what makes a marriage successful. Okay? If you just follow the law and then afterward wonder why is my marriage successful, not successful, that's like dumb, that's not how like, human beings work. That's not what the point of the law is. The point of the law is not there to like... You know, the, we the people of the United States of America in order to make like whatever uh, domestic prosperity and harmony between like husbands and wives, we write this constitution. That's not what that, that's, that stuff is not for that. It's for something completely different, right? So there are a number of things that are in the sunnah. They may not be haram. So like to stay up after Isha is not really haram. You know, like eating a ham sandwich is haram. Staying after Isha is not haram. But it's not a good idea. It's not a smart idea for somebody who wants to do something with their life. And so the idea is what is that Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, he instituted this practice, which is that the Isha prayer would be prayed after the first third of the night was done, and then afterward everybody would just go straight to sleep. Why? If you go to sleep, there's a number of benefits of going to sleep right after the Isha prayer is done. The first benefit is what? Is that that's the most healthy and restful sleep that a person is going to get. The sleep that a person gets from the, uh, from, from the time that they've prayed Isha until around the time of midnight is the most healthy and the restful sleep that a person is going to get. The second thing is what is that if a person sleeps at that time, it will be easy for them to wake up for tahajjud, which is what we're going to talk about. The qiyamul layl and tahajjud in specific is what we're going to talk about. I, I see you, I'll get to you, okay? So that's the second, that's the second thing. The third thing is what? Is that the uh, person who then wakes up, makes a habit of waking up for tahajjud. Uh, imagine if a person oversleeps from, from, from their tahajjud, at least they'll catch fajr, right? The person whose habit is to pray tahajjud every night, that person will, uh, uh, that person will rarely, if ever, miss their fajr prayer. All of these things, when you put them together, they make like a society built on certain values. Of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he said, "Al barakatufi bukuriha." He said that what that the barakah is in what in, in the early part of the morning and waking up in the early part of the morning. That's why, like in university and things like that, your math class is probably going to be at 8 a.m. and your other like you know 
whatever sociology introduction to sociology and like whatever like interpretive dance classes and whatever they're all going to be later in the morning if not in the afternoon why because your mind can be relatively tired and still uh get through those things whereas like calculus pre-calculus algebra you know geometry you're not going to be able to hack those classes without having your mind all together um in the correct place tell me are you going to wake up in the morning early if you go to sleep at 8 p.m or sorry if you go to sleep at like 1 p.m 1 a.m 2 a.m like in the middle of the night you're not going to right this is sadly and unfortunately the situation in a large part of the muslim world not all of it but in a large part of the muslim world that the party is up real late at night and then in the morning early in the morning nothing is open nothing no one's doing anything no one's like uh, making any work if you try to get something done in any uh, office or in any place in the muslim world after fajr it's very difficult or illa mashallah there's some exceptions but in general it's it's very difficult to get done this is not the way that things used to be from from before this is not the way that the uh, uh, the, the muslim societies were structured uh, in pre-modern times and pre-colonial times uh, and so part of this entire cycle is what? It's the tahajjud time. That if you go to sleep right after Isha, and you don't waste your time uh, uh, talking, and you don't waste your time uh, enjoying yourself, it's not that it's haram and there's no, like, you can't enjoy yourself ever. But there's a time for that, and the time for that is not after Isha. If you, if you spend that time in sleep, what will end up happening is that you'll get this, like, real... Uh, important uh, window of time that other people don't have, which is what? Which is the, 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 the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth part of the night. Nothing else is going on. Nothing else is going on. And in that time, this is a time specifically human beings save this time either for their own rest, and the only person that they will allow to interrupt this time is the one that they love. So this is a time that husbands and wives uh, uh, are the only ones that like speak to one another or parents and children are the only ones who speak to each other at this time. This is the time that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, used to in specific say for Allah Ta'ala. And he said about this tahajjud time that, 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 that getting up and praying in this time, this is the uh, affair of the righteous people amongst you and of every group of righteous people from before you. Now, I've seen places in the Muslim world, villages where almost everybody wakes up at this time. But unfortunately, it's completely like evaporated from, from our practice. And there's a lot of bad that's come from that. Why? Because imagine a person prays dhuhr in the daytime, right? Where are you guys usually at dhuhr time? School, right? So when you're in Thor in the first raka'ah, you're thinking about your math, math test. And in the second raka'ah, you're thinking about like, you know, uh, uh, your English test. And in the third raka'ah, the guy next to you is picking his nose. And like, there's a lot of distraction. That doesn't mean that that salat has no function whatsoever. But one of the points of the salat is to drag you out of all of those things that you're doing in the day and bring you back to remembering Allah Ta'ala. So it's a different, it's like a, like a, uh, it's like a, 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 like a life jacket thrown to someone who's drowning in the middle of the ocean. But is this the best way to teach a person how to swim? Just throw them in the ocean, in the deep ocean? No. What's a good, a good way to learn how to swim? You have like a pool, you have like a, uh, uh, you know, like lanes, and you have like a controlled environment where you can, you know, not be too cold, not be too warm, you know, you're safe. You can learn things on your own terms, right? You can do things on your own terms. And that's what the hajjud is. That's what the hajjud is. It's a time when 
parts of the mind that are hyperactive and distracted from other things are shut down. It's a time when you won't hear the hammer crack, 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 uh, you know, uh, building the bathroom. It's a time when you're not going to see light. In fact, it's oftentimes dark. In fact, if you turn on the light, it will bother other people as well. It's a time when you're not bombarded with noises. It's a time when all your senses, as well as your heart and as well as your mind, they're quiet. So if you say in that time, La ilaha illallah, you actually understand what it means rather than like the la 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 people like they prattle their way through their salat. They don't even say Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar turns into a lopper or something like that and the person will muddle through their, their prayer. This is a time that you can do these things and say these things and more importantly, because there's no noise, you actually feel what the effect is on, on your heart. Now, this is a problem. What is the problem is that we don't make time for these things. We don't know how to do these things. We haven't seen how to do these things. We haven't had elders that showed us how to do these things for whatever reasons. You know, maybe they're too busy. They had to, our fathers and our grandparents, they had to earn a living or whatever. They were unable to show us how to do these things. But there's a time and a place everybody has to learn. And this is also a part of the ilm of the deen. That a person has to learn these things because there are so many parts of the love of Allah Ta'ala, a person is not going to be able to learn except for by learning it through tahajjud. This is one of the things that I mentioned when I uh, started reading this chapter uh, uh, in another place. Uh, is that if you look in the Riyadh al-Salihin, it's a really long chapter. It's a really long chapter. The Riyadh al-Salihin, sometimes the chapters are only three, four, five hadiths, five, six hadiths. This is a really long chapter. It's a long chapter in the Riyadh al-Salihin and indeed it's a long chapter in every book of hadith. But it's not a very long chapter in our own lives. That's sad. And that's something that Alhamdulillah Allah Ta'ala gave us life that we can still work on. So the first hadith we wanted to read was uh, uh, an Sayyidatina Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha qalat ma kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yazidu fi Ramadana wa la fi ghayrihi ala ihda asharata rak'atan yusalli arba'an fala tas'al an husnihinna wa tulihinna thumma yusalli arba'an fala tas'al an husnihinna wa tulihinna thumma yusalli thalathan qultu ya Rasulullah atanamu qabla an tutir فقال صلى الله عليه وسلم يا عائشة إن عيني تنامان ولا ينام قلبي متفق عليه سيدة عائشة رضي الله عنها Why is it important that she's going to be the one who's narrating the hadith about the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم's tahajjud? Why? Because she's the wife of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم That's an hour in which other people are not going to see him generally صلى الله عليه وسلم And so the, imagine that like this like you know the space of of the uh, Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was such that she had like he would pray in that place and she would be sleeping so she would like sleep with her legs back just so that he had enough space to pray uh, it was in such close quarters so she knows about the tahajjud of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam so she was asked uh, and so she uh, responded that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would not pray in Ramadan or outside of Ramadan, more than 11 rak'ahs. More than 11 rak'ahs. Okay? This hadith has to do with the tahajjud of the Messenger of Allah This is not a hadith about Salatul Taraweeh. Why? Because she says he didn't pray in Ramadan or outside of Ramadan more than 11 rak'ahs. Does anyone pray Taraweeh outside of Ramadan? No. This is a hadith about a, a different prayer that the Prophet would not read more than, pray more than eight, uh, 11 rak'ahs. Which is what? Two, 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 uh, two. Four rakahs of, uh, of, uh, of 
the regular nawafil, and then uh, uh, sorry, eight rakahs of the regular nawafil in sets of four, and then two rakahs of shafa and one rakah of witr. And so the idea is if we want to pray tahajjud, so this is the first thing we're going to learn about tahajjud. If we want to pray tahajjud, in the beginning it's going to be hard. It's not easy to wake up at that time, especially if you don't go to sleep on time. If you're up until 10 or 11 or whatever, it's going to be really hard to wake up at that time. So the way you start is what? By praying two. Then if you want to do more, then pray two more. Then if you want to do, pray two more, up to what, six? Then if you want to pray, do two more, up to eight. Then if you want to do more, then what do you do? You just start making them longer. You start making them what? Longer. So this is the first precept that we learn from this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ from Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha. So he wouldn't pray more than 11 rak'ahs neither in Ramadan or outside of Ramadan, yani in his tahajjud, in his tahajjud. And so she said, don't even ask about how beautiful they were and how long they were. So they were very beautiful that the Prophet ﷺ, he used to like focus and he used to be very humble in those rak'ahs and they used to be very long rak'ahs. This is something that people don't know, uh, 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 but before the five daily prayers were made fard, the fard in this uh, uh, ummah was what? It was to pray at nighttime, to pray the tahajjud. That was the first way salat was prayed. Then after coming to Medina, uh, sorry, after the, the Isra and Mi'raj, in the end of the time of the Prophet ﷺ in Makkah Mukarramah, then the five daily prayers were instituted. And then praying tahajjud at night was, uh, then became a nafil. It became a nafil on the rest of the ummah, but the Prophet ﷺ was still a far that was still a, a, an obligation on him. And so he would pray for uh, a third, a half, uh, or all of the night. Uh, he would pray for a significant amount, at least a third of the night he would spend in prayer. His habit, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was to spend about half the night in prayer, alayhi salatu And so she said that then he would pray uh, uh, another four, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and don't ask about how, uh, um, how, how beautiful they are and how long they were. Uh, so what do we learn now is that there's a break between you pray two and two and then there's a break and then you pray two and two and then there's another break. And so what is the break? The break doesn't mean like I'm going to go check my Facebook, I'm going to go and like, you know, uh, grab a glass of water, although that's not such a big deal if you do. But like the point is not necessarily to distract yourself from the worship of Allah Ta'ala. But just to have a, a little bit of reflection and to uh, feel like the barakah of what you just did. You did something good. When you follow, a good, the time after a good deed also is a Mubarak time. When a person finishes praying, the angels will uh, uh, gather in that place and will make dua for you. Allahumma afir lahu, Allahumma arhamhu, O Allah, uh, forgive that person, this person, O Allah, have mercy on this person. And the duas of the angel is, angels aren't just like, you know, like with us, we're like, yeah, inshallah, mashallah, we say like nice things and it like means nothing. The duas of the, angel are, the angels are barakah. And their protection for a person in this world, their protection for a person in the hereafter as well. It's something that a person will feel, feel if they have any life inside of their heart, a person will feel uh, what the goodness of those things are. So it's good to sit and reflect and think about what you just did uh, uh, for some time. So there's four, and then a small break, and then another four. Then he would pray, sallallahu alayhi wa the shafa and watr. He would pray three, three rak'ahs. After the five daily prayers, the most important prayer a person will pray is the Shafa and Witr. A person should never leave it. Uh, many of the companions, radiallahu anhum, even though they didn't say that it was farth, but if someone asked, is it okay not to pray, they refused to say, okay, it's okay to not to pray. A person should treat it as if it's farth. Not as a legal issue, but as a 
a person who loves the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that there's no recording that the Prophet ﷺ ever left it, nor did his companions uh, used to leave it. Uh, so what would happen is the last thing he would pray ﷺ is what? His Shafa and Watr. And oftentimes we'll pray it right after Isha if you don't know if you're going to wake up or not. So it's, uh, if you're not going to wake up, then it's better to pray it right after your Isha. But if you know you're going to wake up, the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was the habit of the Prophet ﷺ was to pray it at the end and save the best for last. He said, she asked him, O Messenger of Allah, after you were done with the eight, did you used to sleep between the uh, uh, between your eight rak'ahs of tahajjud and between your witr? And he would say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, O Aisha, my, the two eyes uh, sleep, but the heart doesn't sleep. Meaning that I'm awake and aware of what's going on. And so even then, those uh, who uh, consider it to be a sunnah to rest between the eight rak'ahs and between the three witr, they say that it's not necessarily that you're going back to sleep, but that you're just taking it easy and relaxing. And this is the time that we see the mashayikh, uh, uh, they prescribe a person who has like a regiment of, a regiment of dhikr, that they're going to say La ilaha illallah or take the divine name Allah Allah or any of the other masnoon adhkar. This is a good time to, to say those adhkar as well. Why? So that there's some, uh, some sort of gap between, uh, uh, between the, uh, the, the different raka'at of the night prayer and a person is uh, using the barakah of one act of worship in order to help them with the other. وعنها رضي الله عنها أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان ينام أول الليل ويقوم آخره فيصلي متفق عليه and she also narrated رضي الله عنها that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم used to sleep in the first part of the night and he used to wake up in the in the second half of the night and pray Again, these things are sunnas. Many people, mashallah, they'll become very defensive about certain sunnas and then they'll forget the other sunnas. Every sunnah, when you leave it, there's some sort of harm that happens. There's some sort of harm that happens. So some people are real gung-ho about having a beard. I like having a beard. Where's your beard? Astaghfirullah, you don't have a beard, man. This guy, someone, Abu Sahib, talked to this guy after telling him to grow a beard after, inshallah, right? So, right? But some people are gung-ho about this. You know, uh, once uh, one of our mashayikh, uh, a man came into his majlis and he said, Shaykh, I want to get married. I don't know what to do. I want to get married and nobody will marry their daughter to me. And so the Shaykh says, come, let's have a talk. Let's have a talk. And so they talk for some time. And then afterward he comes out and he, uh, he, he then gives his daughter in marriage to this man. And then somebody in the, in the majlis said, Shaykh, isn't it a sunnah to have a walima? Obviously, this guy's broke. You know, if he owned like, you know, 17 Metro PCSs or whatever, there would be a line out the door for, uh, uh, you know, people trying to get their daughters married to him or whatever, right? But obviously, the guy's broke. So someone asked in the majlis in front of everyone, isn't it a sunnah to have a walima, right? Why? Because we have a very self-serving idea of what the sunnah is supposed to be. I get to eat, so I'm going to ask, is it the sunnah or not? So the shaykh says, Allah knows who really cares about the sunnah and who doesn't. So because you brought it up, all of you go home and bring, bring a dish of food uh, from home and that's the walima, that's how, what our walima is going to be. So many people there, walaim, people are better than us, better than you and me, they're walaim, we're, we're, we're held like that, we're held like that. Uh, and so uh, uh, all of these things are sunnahs, you know, people have, but like, you know, the other thing of what, like a poor man came and he was, the shaykh was pleased with his akhlaq. And so he gave his daughter to him in marriage despite his poverty. That's also a sunnah, but nobody's going to say, oh, who's going to like, uh, uh, who's going to revive this sunnah? 
what, but the sunnah of like eating the food in the walima, it's a sunnah too, we should do it. I'm not saying not to do it, I'm not like knocking people for doing it, but some people, their, their concern with the sunnah is just to like get one up, like to say something bad to another person, or to eat something, or to like make themselves, pump themselves up about themselves. And then there's some people who just want to do something, why? Because the Messenger of Allah وسلم, did it. That one is the one who, uh, their practice is the sunnah, there's going to be barakah in it. At any rate, every sunnah, whichever it is, whether it's eating the walima or whether it's, uh, 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 you know, uh, giving your daughter to a person of good akhlaq even if they may not have the most money in the world or whether it's waking going to sleep in the first part of the night and waking up in the second part of it there's some barakah in that there's some barakah in that and this is something that the mashayikh also say and I've experienced it myself as well the rest that you get from the sleep after after isha before the midnight is much better than the rest that you get from the late part of the night when you wake up for tahajjud if you slept from like 8 until like 2 Oftentimes people involuntarily will wake up at this time and they can't go back to sleep. Why? Because you're too rested. Whereas what happens, the person who's going to sleep at midnight, it's like 6 o'clock, Fajr, the alarm is ringing. It's the same amount of sleep a person gets. But the body is also like linked to the, you know, the biological clock is linked to like phenomena that are happening outside. That sleep is so horrible, a person tries to wake up and they can't wake themselves up. It's just so horrible, you, you feel so tired, it's like you're chained to it. Uh, and, and there's a, a biological uh, uh, connection and there's also a, uh, a spiritual connection as well that, that the shaitan is, uh, has uh, been given power over you at that time. One said, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhum. قَالَ صَلَّيْتُ مَعَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ لَيْلَةً فَلَمْ يَزَلْ قَائِمًا حَتَّى هَمَمْتُ بِأَمْرِ سَوْئٍ قِيلَ مَا هَمَمْتُ Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud anhu, one of the first people to accept Islam at the hands of the Prophet He's the one who used to carry the Prophet some slippers. He's the one who used to pour the water for the Prophet wudu. Maybe the ICC sink wasn't built then, right? So they used to pour water from a container. And so that, imagine that's an honor that the one who pours the water for the wudu of the Prophet And so he was very close to him. So he said that uh, once I prayed with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam this tahajjud prayer. He said that he was standing Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so long that uh, uh, I wanted, I was thinking about doing something. I was like on the verge of doing something that would have been very sad. This word, uh, it's not su, su means evil, it's so. Alayhim da'iratu so. Right? Uh, and in general, as a stylistic preference, even though it's a sifa, it's not amrin so in, but it's amru so bi amri so in. That it's uh, 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 it's a uh, it's used as an idafa, as a stylistic uh, uslubi issue. It's used as an idafa. Uh, so with the fatha on the uh, on the scene, so diddu diddul masarra, the thing that makes you masarra is hap, happiness. So is the thing that makes you sad, that like depresses you or makes you sad, something that's sad. So he said, I was like right on the verge of doing something sad. And so they said, what were you on the verge of doing that was so sad? And he said that I was just going to like finish my prayer on my own and like break, break my congregational uh, intention with the Prophet and just finish the prayer on my own. Why? Because the Messenger of Allah he 
he, uh, uh, he, he stood so long in prayer, right? ظَلَمْتُ سُنَّةَ مَنْ أَحْيَى الظَّلَامَ إِلَىٰ أَنِشْتَكَتْ قَدَمَاهُ ضُرَّ مِنْ وَرَمِي وَشَدَّ مِنْ سَغَبٍ أَحْشَاءَهُ وَالطَّوَىٰ تَحْتَ الْحِجَارَةِ كَشْحَمْ مُطْرَفَ الْأَدَمِ The Prophet ﷺ, this was known that he used to ﷺ, stand in tahajjud so long that it, was, it would like hurt other people were not able to do so. Other people are not able to do so. Have you ever stood in prayer so long that your feet hurt? No, probably not, maybe. Actually, you guys are pious guys. You probably do it all every night at home. Uh, but the idea is like many of us don't. Why? Because if you do it in the regular prayer, it's actually haram to do it in the regular prayer. Because people are stuck. Just like Abdullah bin Mas'ud, imagine he's like a, such a great companion. He was there at Uhud and Badr and all, you know, the Fath and, and like he's one of the first Quran memorizers and has such a great maqam in this ummah. If it was too much for him to handle, then imagine like if you, if you were to pray that long, like Isha or Maghrib or, or uh, something like that, it would become a fitna for people. It would make, make life difficult for them. So the sunnah is what? Is to make those prayers relatively short. And if you want to pray a long prayer, then you do it in your own tahajjud. But what was the tahajjud of the Prophet ﷺ? Is that he would, uh, uh, he would pray so long that many of the companions were unable to stand. And it's narrated from more than one person that they tried to join the Prophet ﷺ in prayer. And then the point came when they, they were like just about to like die and just they needed to break the prayer and like finish on their own, um, whether they did it or not. So the question comes is, well, how long was it then? Uh, and this is the, the, the last hadith I wanted to read uh, tonight before, uh, inshallah, let every, letting everyone go. It's a hadith of uh, Sayyidina Hudayfa, Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu anhu. قال صليت مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ذات ليلة فافتتح البقرة فقلت يركع عند المئة ثم مضى قلت فقلت يصلي بها في ركعة فيمضي فقلت يركع بها ثم افتتح النساء فقرأها ثم افتتح آل عمران فقرأها يقرأ مترسلا إذا مر بآية فيها تسبيح سبح وإذا مر بسؤال سأل وإذا مر بتعوذ تعوذ ثم ركع فجعل يقول سبحان ربي العظيم فكان كان ركوعه نحو من قيامه ثم قال سمع الله لمن حمده ربنا لك الحمد ثم قام طويلا قريبا مما ركع ثم سجد فقال سبحان ربي الأعلى فكان سجود قريبا من قيامه رواه مسلم. So this is a, a, a even more graphic description of how the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to pray his tahajjud. Sayyid Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman رضي الله تعالى عنه is a sahib of the Nabi صلى الله عليه وسلم. The Prophet would tell him secrets because he would keep secrets. So he would tell him the secrets. One of the things he knew, he was the only one from the companions who was given the list of the names of the munafiqeen. Sayyidina Umar عنه, once cornered him during, the, uh, during his khilafah and he asked him, uh, 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 billah. He said, I ask you in the name of Allah Ta'ala, is my name on the list? Um, and this is something that we then we learn from this that the fear of being a munafiq is part of iman and the uh, uh, the idea that you got it made that there's no way that you're one of them is a sign that you're probably one of them so uh, uh, he said that anshudaka billah I tell you by Allah Ta'ala that your name is not on the list and I tell you by Allah that if anyone asks me ever again I won't tell 
You're the only one, I'll, I'll, I'll disclose this, that you're not one of them. And so Sayyidina Umar who used to watch when a janaza would leave, he would see, does Hudayfa join the uh, uh, janaza, yes or no? And if he joins uh, the janaza, then Sayyidina Umar would join it as well, and if he didn't, he would just sit it out. At any rate, this person is a close person to the Messenger of Allah He said, I prayed with the Messenger of Allah one night. And the Prophet after his Fatiha, he started reading Surah Al-Baqarah, which as Hafiz Furqan knows is a long surah. MashaAllah, uh, you know, you guys all probably figured that out at some point. Uh, and so he, he, uh, he said that, uh, Hudayfa said, he kept reading, kept reading. I thought, well, he'll probably read like a hundred ayahs, which is a lot. Right? He said he'll probably read a hundred ayahs. It's like, it's what? It's, it's more than a, uh, a juz, right? 100 ayahs. Yeah, it's less than a juz, but it's about, it's like in that scale, right? It's a lot, right? Huh? 100 ayahs is more than two and a half pages, son. No, I said 21. Huh? 21 pages. 21 pages? No, it's less than that. Go look, go look. Go ahead. It's research, research project. Never say until you're dead sure. And if it's 21 pages, I'll, I'll, I'll give you five bucks. <laughs> huh? No, no, mashallah, yeah, halal dollars. Okay, careful, careful, I don't, careful, careful. It's lower than a hundred. Huh? <laughs> no, what, what, what page is on? I, I one hundred, huh? Fifteen. Okay, there you go, you put it back. Inshallah. This is a good lesson. It's a good lesson for all of us. Uh, so at any rate, the, uh, so he thought, it's still, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to read in one, one rak'ah, you know? Like I'll read three, four pages in like, in Fajr sometimes and like, I, I feel like the, the, like, like the little, like the tawajjuh of death coming from the back. So, you know, it's time to wrap it up, you know? Yeah, yeah man, you know, hey, people got to go to work, right? So, but it's a lot. The point is, it's a lot. And so he said that I thought, okay, he'll read a hundred, hundred ayahs, and then he'll, then he'll, uh, he'll make rukur, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And so he said that he got to the hundredth ayah, and he's like, now here it comes. He's going to make rukur. And he said he just read it and kept reading. And then he read the whole rest of the, uh, uh, the whole rest of the uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, right? Which is like whatever, two hundred and eighty-six ayahs, at least in hafs, right? Uh, um, and so he's like, well, at least, you know, he'll finish at the end of Baqarah. And then he started reading Surah Al-Nisa. Then after that, he finished it and he said, I thought he's going to uh, make Rukur. Then he started reading Surah Al-Imran. Now, this is somewhat of like, you know, I know that everyone's like chomping at the bit, like, well, isn't the order out of order? This is something that's interesting, actually. There's two, two, uh, two uh, things that the commentators on this hadith mention with regards to this hadith. One is that uh, um, the order of the surahs during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ would change. And the Mus'haf of Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud anhu, who was copying the, the writing the surahs into his Mus'haf while Wahi was still coming down, in his Mus'haf, even though he's not the narrator of this hadith, but in his Mus'haf it's, it was known amongst the ulama that the Surah Al-Nisa came before Surah Al-Imran. 
And just sometime later on, the Prophet said that the, the uh, Surah Ali Imran will come first and the Surah Nisa comes second. At this time, it's not even known if any of these surahs were complete yet. Surah Al-Baqarah almost certainly wasn't complete yet. It's not, there were still ayahs that had to be revealed of it. And it's not known yet whether the surahs are complete yet or, or, or anything. So if a person was wondering, why is he reading Surah Al-Nisa before Surah Al-Imran? This is a good question and this is the reason. That, that, that uh, the, the, the order would be changed later on and that order hadn't come down. But still, it's a lot. It's a lot of recitation. He said that then he read uh, Surah Al-Imran after Surah Al-Nisa and after Surah Al-Baqarah. Uh, uh, and it's not that the Messenger of Allah was reading quickly. Rather, he was enjoying every word of the, the Wahi. Uh, he was enjoying every word of the Wahi, saying it properly, pondering over it, keeping the ayat separate, keeping sentences and clauses uh, separate. And uh, how was he enjoying uh, every word of it? That's also described in detail. That uh, when he would. Pass by sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an ayah in which there's tasbih. فَسَبِّحْ اسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ فَسَبِّحْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ سَبِّحْ اسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى He would say, Subhanallah al-Azim, Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Subhanallah Rabbi al-A'la Glorify the name of your Lord, the most magnificent. Glorify the name of your Lord, the most high. He would, he would stop and like say that tasbih. Obviously, in order to do this, you have to understand some amount of Arabic. You know, you don't got to be Jahiz or Sibawe or anything, but like you have to understand some amount of Arabic in order to do this. This is something that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, used to do in his Tahajjud prayer as opposed to the Fard. So some of the Fuqaha said that when a person is leading the Fard prayer, it's better not to stop and do these things, but just read the, the Qur'an straight. But in his Tahajjud, he used to do this وسلم, and it's part of your engagement with the Qur'an. That you say something and Allah says something, Allah says something and then you say something. It's like a conversation between you and Allah Ta'ala. Obviously a person will not have access to that if they don't know the Qur'anic Arabic and they don't have access to that if they aren't listening to what Allah Ta'ala is saying. And so he said that if he passed by an ayah in which there's tasbih, he would himself say subhanAllah. If he asked by, uh, asked, passed by an ayah in which something was being asked, he would make dua and ask that from Allah Ta'ala. If he passed by an ayah in which there was refuge being sought, he would make, take refuge in Allah Ta'ala. If he passed by an ayah uh, 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 that there was refuge being made, he would make refuge, uh, take refuge in Allah Ta'ala. Uh, this is itself like a special relationship that a person has with the book of Allah Ta'ala. Uh, and it's difficult to do when you have distraction. You know, it's difficult to do even in the Fard prayer when you have distraction because you can't pay attention, you can't repeat the ayat again and again, you can't uh, stop, you know, so much because the, you know, things have to go on. You can't just take like 20 minutes for like a, a prayer. Um, but uh, he would, sallallahu alayhi wa do all of these things and then he made ruku. And in his ruku, he would say, Subhanahu Rabbil Azim, transcendent above blemish is my Lord, the most magnificent. Uh, and his ruku was so long that it was like it, it reminded Hudayfa of the qiyam, of the standing of the Prophet. So imagine how long did he stand? Surah Al Baqarah, Surah Al Nisa, Surah Al Imran. And then he would make like a super long uh, uh, ruku. And uh, then he would say, Rabbana Hamd. Allah uh, heard the one who praises, appears the one who praises him, uh, or, or our Lord to you is praised. Then he would stand. Uh, in the uh, in the standing, you know, after the ruku, uh, 
for so long it was as it seemed like how long he was standing from the recitation reciting uh, du'as and ayat and not, not ayat with du'as and uh, the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala in this in this time uh, and then he uh, uh, made sajda and in his sajda he said subhan rabbi al-a'la transcendent above blemish is my lord the most high and his sajda was so long it was like uh, it was like his it reminded me of how long he was standing for which is really long time now a number of things happen when a person does this a number of things happen when a person does this is that what the heart completely will uh, will focus on Allah Ta'ala and the, the heart will say things, the things that you say in dua at that point are like mulham, like Allah Ta'ala is, is opening your heart to ask for the things that you need. A person doesn't know what to ask Allah Ta'ala for except for in these situations. The heart is open to ask Allah Ta'ala for the things that you need and the fact that you're asking is a sign that you're going to receive. Allah Ta'ala wouldn't let you ask for something if He didn't want to give it to you. The fact that you're asking is a sign that you're going to receive from Allah Ta'ala. Now lest a person, obviously our prayer is nothing like the prayer of the Prophet Sallallahu and it was nothing like the prayer of our Aslaf or even the, the prayer of, of the Mashayikh, the companions and the Tabi'in, uh, Taba uh, Tabi'in, the Ulama from afterward. But I credit uh, even though I, I uh, oftentimes will mention Madrasa and I'll mention Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik and Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad and Bukhari and this and that, I credit the practical demonstration of how to pray Tahajjud uh, to one uh, Egyptian uh, uh, brother who came to uh, who came to uh, Canada. I, before 9-11, you could cross the border with Canada. It was like going down the street. So we lived close to the border. The nearest masjid actually, we would go to Canada to go pray over there. So I prayed Taraweeh and I did I'tikaf over there uh, one year when uh, Ramadan was in the winter. Winter is like the season of the awliya because it's easy to fast and you have a whole night to pray your tahajjud and make your dhikr. Uh, and so I credit this, this sheikh that uh, uh, we prayed, uh, sorry, we stayed in Tahajjud over there and he used to pray the Taraweeh and he would pray the 20 and then afterward uh, he would pray, uh, after everyone would leave and it was just the I'tikaf crew, he would pray uh, uh, 8 and then he would uh, let people sleep and it's a long night and uh, you know they would wake up then and then they would pray like at 3 o'clock or 2.30 or something like that and then they would pray another 4 rak'ahs. And in those four uh, rak'ahs, I remember the first night of i'tikaf, we, 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 he read mutarassilan, you know, pausing and giving every word its due, uh, uh, both in its sound and its recitation and in its meaning. Surah uh, Al-Baqarah uh, in the first rak'ah, Surah Ali Imran in the second, Surah Al-Nisa in the third, and Surah Al-Ma'idah in the fourth. So still not as long as the Prophet described in this in this, uh, in this hadith. But it's so long, it's so long, mashallah, it's so long, that you stand until your feet hurt, then you make ruku' until your back hurts, and then you, uh, you know, make sajda until, like literally your, your head turns upside down. But something interesting happens when you do that. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the part of a person's uh, spiritual makeup, and even a person's physical makeup that's inclined toward evil, kind of shuts down. It's kind of like, uh, it's like kind of like you strangled it and it's like tapped out. And you become a you that's like much better than the normal you. And what are you going to do in that sajda? Like this uh, Hafiz Khalid, right, from Egypt, uh, Khalid, right? He, he, uh, he, he's making sajda for like so long. 
after having recited for so long. So a person then opens, it's like a faucet inside of a person's heart. The only thing I can compare it with is like, when you go to Hajj and you have to make du'a for so long when you're making tawaf or so long in Arafat or so long between the jamarat on the, you know, in, in, when you're stoning on the uh, ayam of Mina, um, that a person just opens a tap inside of their heart and then they get lost in it. You don't know where the time goes. You don't know where the time goes. This is a kefiyah and it's a, a condition that, that you'll also experience one day when you fall in love. Of course, this is embarrassing because your parents are here, so you can't admit that you'll fall in love with a girl one day, but it probably will happen. Hopefully with your wife and nobody else. But it happens, and when it happens, you'll be like, yes, I remember the mullah in the masjid one time said that this was going to happen, and at the time I thought it was gross, but look, it's happening right now. And what happens at that time is that when you find the person that you love, that you're married to, or at least like never alone in like the same room with, right? You'll talk to them and the time will fly so fast and you won't know where the time went. And so there are some people who, and you know, by the way, falling in love is a weird thing. That's not really what we're talking about today, but there's no guarantee that the person you fall in love with is any good for you, right? But imagine that the person who has love for Allah Ta'ala and the person who shares moments like that with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala if you have that much love for Allah Ta'ala that the time will fly and it will pass and you don't know where the time went then whose love is greater, your love or the love of Allah Ta'ala? Uh, so it's, you know, the hope is what? Is that the person who has this uns with the, with the Lord um, this will destroy, it, will, it won't make a person stop sinning 100% but it will destroy the, 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 the pleasure of sin because a person will then sin and either the sin will take away the pleasure of this time with Allah Ta'ala or, uh, uh, or the pleasure of being with Allah Ta'ala will destroy the pleasure of the sin. And if that person dies in such a state on the Day of Judgment, imagine you love someone so much that you could sit and talk with them and you don't know where the time is gonna go. If Allah Ta'ala, if you love Allah Ta'ala like that, that means He loves you even more. And uh, uh, all of this other kind of like, you know, uh, uh, like Rodney King level of beatdown that's gonna happen on the Day of Judgment. Um, you know, Allah Ta'ala will extricate you for it. He didn't create you for that. Uh, because you are from the ones who loved him. Uh, and imagine then there are people in this ummah that for the last 40 years they've never missed this appointment. Uh, Shaykh Hashim, remember you went to go and visit him in, uh, uh, um, in Chicago. He literally says this. If anyone tries to meet with him or talk to him after Isha, he'll say, I'm sorry, I have an appointment I have to keep. And he'll just, he'll just push people away. Like literally, what's his name? Mahin, the brother who's the, his scheduler from Jersey. Um, he said one guy came to him and said, I'm going to kill myself. He's like, sorry, I have an appointment. Like he would not, he will not miss that appointment for, for, for anything. And this is how our mashayikh and our elders uh, were in the past. And it's not just like something stupid or pretentious that people do. There's benefit in it. You know, that salat in the middle of the night, that's what won battles. That salat in the middle of the night, that's what, you know, caused like Salah Din Ayyubi and his armies to overcome the crusaders. That salat in the middle of the night is what protected our lands from the Mongols. That salat in the middle of the night is why we still have, you know, our elders, they, they saw everything destroyed and breaking in front of them and around them. And uh, despite that, because of that salat in the middle of the night, still like some part of Iman like survived so we could like, you know, I don't know, have such a nice masjid in Parma, you know? Uh, uh, and so imagine that there are people in the ummah that have been praying for 40 years uh, straight and they've never missed, missed their appointment with Allah Ta'ala. 
this is such a great maqam with Allah Ta'ala because look, I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm not praying to Hajjud every night. I should be, but I'm not. Usually what ends up happening is like, oh, if you go to Umrah or something like that, you get back into it, Ramadan, you get back into it. Or like something really bad is happening, you're like, oh yeah, Allah, I took this job at this masjid and I don't know what to do now. You know? <laughs> so Allah Ta'ala will bring you back to... Uh, Allah, so Sami Bhai is also getting a reward for it too. That Allah Ta'ala will bring you to, you know, uh, bring you back to this, this tahajjud, you know, and sometimes because you have no other, you know, no other choice. He brings the circumstances to you so that you come back to it. But I'm not going to pretend like I'm this dude who's been doing this for like whatever the last... 10, 20, you know, years or whatever, right? But there are people in, in the Ummah that have been praying for 40 years. So the homework assignment is very simple. I'm not even going to ask you to pray tahajjud tonight. What is it? It's very simple. It's very simple. There are certain manasib of wilaya, there are certain stations of, of sainthood with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of them, uh, they have more to do with what's in your heart than what you're, what you're doing. So the mansab of wilaya that, that, that everybody should receive from having come to this dars. After all, someone should say, why did I you know, waste uh, 50 minutes after Isha listening to this mullah bang on about like, you know, how pious other people are, right? So your homework assignment is what? Just close your eyes and look inside of your heart and say, Ya Allah, whoever prays this tahajjud, that person is like a great person. Why? Because this is a rule, any mansib of wilaya, any station of sainthood with the Lord, the one who bears witness to it, that person also has a station of sainthood as well. Just to consider this, just to consider this uh, tahajjud to be an act of piety and to behold it and say, Ya Allah, this is like such a beautiful thing, whoever does this must be like a wonderful person. That in and of itself is a type of wilaya with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is also a station on the Day of Judgment that people will receive a place in Jannah forever because of it. And nobody is going to get to the, the station of praying tahajjud except for through this, uh, through this station. So everyone's like, oh, Shaykh is crazy. He always yells at people that they're making too much noise and shut your phones off and blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. And everything he says is so hard. This is a very easy thing to do. This is a very, in fact, it's easy. it seems easy, it's not easy, it's actually the hard part. Once you've done this, the actual praying tahajjud is actually very easy. It's very easy, because what's going to happen? You're going to like leave the masjid and your friends are going to be like, oh, let's go out and do this and do that and the other thing. And like, you know, some of your favorite TV shows are going to come on and this is going to happen, that's going to happen, either today or tomorrow or the next day. And then a person will remember, oh, it's a sunnah to like go to sleep before. And I'm not even saying that you, you have to go to sleep. Go and enjoy yourself with your friends. You know? As long as they're not getting drunk, as long as they're drinking coffee or whatever, it's fine. You know, coffee and not like uh, uh, something, something more disgusting than that. You know, if someone drank a shisha, you know, you can say, well, Sheikh Hamza doesn't like it, but I think it's a difference of opinion. Fine, whatever. Don't ask, don't tell. Go do what you want. But what's the fitna at that time? The fitna inside of the heart, for whatever reason, it's a fitna inside the heart. People, people be like, oh, well, you know, this tahajjud thing he talked about, that's just impractical. And then what did it, what happened to your wilaya? You lost it. Go, go smoke your shisha. Go enjoy yourself. Don't smoke shisha. But you know what I mean. Go enjoy yourself. Go have your coffee, your coke, chat it up with your friends, everything, right? But inside of your heart, this is your responsibility if you want to carry the sainthood inside of you. That never, never, never say inside of your heart that it, this is better than, than if I had just gone home and gone to sleep and woke up in the middle of the night. 
if a person can even do that, and if a person that's all they get out of this uh, time, then the time is a good use of time, inshallah, and it's a great, uh, uh, it's a great station with Allah Taala. Allah Taala give all of us so much tawfiq, uh, and I, 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 I admit in front of everyone, and I make the big disclaimer that this is where all these things we're talking about. I'm talking about other people I've seen. This is not me, so don't yom al qiyamah you show up and this guy, this guy, talk big game about tahajjud, and look, look at him, he's like in even worse shape than we are, right? So don't be surprised on that day. I'm just. I'm just a messenger. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.